Today, we're taking a brief break from our series on the book of Acts for a few reasons. One, because it is the world weekend of prayer for children at risk, and Karen brought that to my attention. I don't know that any of us would have realized that, sadly. And also because that effort connects with the heart of our ministry that Karen leads called Refuge 686, which mobilizes the church to care for and um, be concerned about parentless children here and around the world. And a third reason we're taking a break this morning and uh, focusing on this devotional is because in these services this morning, we have several special elements that focus on our own children, our own children who remind us of the heart of dependent faith on our Heavenly Father that we all need to cultivate, our own children who will be professing faith. Some will be baptized Um, All will be taking part in God's family meal for the very first time. And I want to connect those two briefly before I I jump into the devotional. Refuge 686, our ministry that we launched earlier this fall, that name comes from Psalm 68.6, which uh, has in that uh, that passage the phrase, God sets the lonely in families. And that is a picture of what our kids are going to be doing this morning. God claiming them for his own as they profess faith in him. God inviting them into his um, dining room, if you will, to take part in his family meal as those who are sons and daughters. God sets the lonely in families. It's not just um, foster kids in the system. It's not just orphans around the world. The, The need that we each have to belong to the family of God, to call him Abba Father, is a picture of salvation. That's why we're taking a break just for this morning. And um, my goal when I share devotional uh, is in a short amount of time just to stimulate us to be thinking, okay? Uh, by nature, I think I find myself unsatisfied with the, the level of depth that we get to, but uh, I hope this stimulates you on this world weekend of prayer for children at risk. First, uh, I just want to share with you a number of facts to lay the groundwork, talk very honestly about our frustrations especially in light of God's word as we consider the facts, and then point us to a mixture of faith and fears, okay? Just some bare facts. One billion kids worldwide live in poverty. I almost thought that was a typo, uh, and I corroborated it on multiple um, reputable websites. There are only, well, not only, but there are 7.2 billion people in the world. And one billion children are living in poverty. Stunning. UNICEF tells us there are an estimated 153 million children who have lost one parent and by definition are considered an orphan. And 18 million have lost both parents and are living either in an orphanage or on the streets. 18 million. Picture several of the global cities and take every human being in each of those cities. And that's the number of children who are on the streets, who have no home. Perhaps they're in an orphanage, cared for as a a number or one amongst hundreds of kids who are uh, given the bare minimum. Every year, 6.6 million kids under the age of five die from preventable causes. Our kids get immunizations. Preventable causes include malnutrition, kids starving to death, 
6.6 million every year under the age of five. 57 million primary age kids are no longer in school. That means very little hope for a better future. They're not in school because perhaps they have nowhere to go. Perhaps they have no clothes or shoes to go to school. Perhaps because they have to make a living on the streets and bring home something to feed themselves or their family. Almost half of the two to four million people worldwide, they're, they're only estimates because nobody could really figure it out. Two to f- half of the two to four million people worldwide who become new victims of trafficking, whether for forced labor or sex, are children. One to two million kids every year, new victims of trafficking. Someone evil taking incredible advantage of these kids who are on the streets, who are not in school, who have no one to guide them, no one to bring them home at night and close the door and say, you're safe, go to sleep. In 23 developed countries over the past seven years, developed countries, child poverty has increased. And we say that we're progressing as a society bringing it home a little bit more and connecting with the themes of Refuge 686. Josh, you thought you were starting our service on a downer with sin. This is, this is the fuller picture, isn't it, that we have to face very honestly. In the U.S., there are almost 400,000 kids in the foster care system. Over a quarter of them are eligible for adoption today. If you were screened already, you could say, I'm going to call one of those children my son or my daughter, and give them my name and give them a place in my home and a a place at the table, not just as a guest. Last year, about 24,000 aged out of the foster care system without ever being adopted. That means they entered adulthood without the security and sense of belonging that we take for granted as being part of childhood. That means there's a good chance that they won't have a family to come home to for Thanksgiving dinner. There there will be no one to ask for advice, no one wondering how they're doing uh, in their job, uh, no one helping them find that job, and if they get married, no one to walk them down the aisle and celebrate that special day with them. We could talk about hundreds of other snapshots. We don't have time for me to stand up here and cry. But the facts are ugly. They should turn our stomachs. We need to do something. And too often, we as the church of Jesus Christ prefer to stick our heads in the sand and ignore the reality and ignore our calling to do something about those realities. Those are just the facts. Let me speak honestly about some frustrations. The ministry that organizes this weekend of prayer, if we can go back to that previous slide, makes this faith statement. We believe that God brings protection, provision, and promises. And this ministry, better than we do, is aware of the brokenness, the fallenness behind all of the facts and many more that I listed. But take a look at these scripture passages, section by section. I wonder how many of us wants to say in reply, oh, really? Brutally honest. Oh, really? God, God brings protection, provision, and promises? How has he protected these children from sex traffickers? 
How has God provided for kids who are starving? And what good are his promises to children who are abandoned, who have no families and no future to look ahead to? If you're worried about getting hit with a lightning bolt that will strike me as I speak those words about God's word, let me suggest that you read the Psalms a little more regularly because the raw honesty before God of not just David but several other of the psalmists speaks to this kind of frustration. I see your word, God. I read it. It sounds pretty firm and clear, but where's the reality that matches it? You have a choice, and I have a choice, to either dismiss the possibility that God's word is true, because we see the reality and it can't be, or to wrestle with his word in light of what we see around us and recognize that God, with a perfect heart of love and sovereign power to do what he will, somehow is working all things for the good of those who love him. God protects. This, this is maybe a, a, just a sample of how we can wrestle with these truths, with the frustration that we feel when looking at the brokenness of the world. We actually start on a, I think on an easy note, if you will, in terms of frustration. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. The psalmist David is saying, despite everything going wrong around me, God, I sense your presence. That might satisfy a little frustration. Second Thessalonians might be a little tougher, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And you might think, not right now. I don't feel protected. I don't feel strengthened. I feel pretty weak and I feel vulnerable to the evil one and to those around me. Second category is God provides. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's frustrating, isn't it? All your needs? What about the starving kids? We need to wrestle with this, you see, and not just dismiss it outright um, off the cuff because Paul is making a promise according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Are there things that we can't see? Are there aspects of God's provision that we don't understand? Is there a a time frame called eternity that makes the, the blip of the longest human life seem insignificant compared to the riches of God's promises forever? Therefore, do not be anxious, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. We need to feed the hungry. We need to clothe the naked. We need to provide refreshing drink to sustain human beings in clean water, right? But somehow, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Trust the Father. That's tough, isn't it? Thirdly, God promises I think this is where we can turn the corner, wrestling in our frustrations with God's word, because promises by nature aren't yet reality. Promises offer hope, don't they, of something coming that's better. He gives power to the weak and strength of the powerless. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In our frustration, we very well may say, well, when, God? As the psalmist cries out often, how long, O Lord, unspoken, until these promises become reality? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope 
in a future. These were spoken well after Abraham and the other patriarchs, but Hebrews 11 gives us a little glimpse and says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And many will die living earthly lives, not knowing what those plans that God have has in store for them look like, but they are still there. Promises to be grasped. And then faith and fears. As Americans, especially here in Bergen County, don't we so often live under the illusion that decisions we make can keep suffering, even death, at bay? So we eat organic, we join a gym, we buy BPA-free plastics, we avoid partially hydrogenated vegetable oils and artificial colorings by looking at all the labels. And, and if you're really extreme, you'd do something like eat brown rice, um, which I don't recommend. Brown rice has higher levels of arsenic, I found out. That's my defense at home. I don't like arsenic. The irony is that we ignore real suffering in the world while obsessing over the illusion that we can engineer our way to a disease-free long life. I'm not saying don't care about your health. I'm not saying don't exercise and, and don't watch what you put in your body. But don't we think that that is the path rather than depending on a, a faithful God who knows the path forward, who has plans to prosper us and not to harm us? What would a world with only comfort and ease and affluence and pleasure look like? Some of you would leap at that. My answer from Scripture would be, a world like that would be a godless, barren landscape. Because it's a world in which humanity would dismiss any need for God because it seems like we have everything we need. We're making progress. We have more today than we did yesterday, and that's good enough. Forget eternity, live now, forget heaven. Earth is where it's at. And that is a godless, barren landscape because do you know and do you really believe that a life of prosperity, ease, comfort, pleasure that is devoid of Christ is no life at all? It's an illusion that doesn't last. It's a daydream that will turn into a nightmare. It's a gorgeous, lush tree that is rotting from the inside and one day one single gust of wind will topple it. And do you know on the other side, and do you really believe that a life that lacks any comfort but claims the promise of resurrection through faith in Jesus is indeed a rich life? Um, That life might be defined by extreme poverty, even abuse and loneliness and lack of belonging in the world, but a person who is clinging by faith to Jesus stands to inherit greatest treasure, which isn't comfort, ease, and pleasure, and everything we could dream about in this world, and everything we could look at in glossy magazines and find on Madison Avenue in heaven. The greatest treasure we stand to inherit is God himself, being with the Creator, and then all these things will be added unto us, and we will not lack. I'm acutely aware of the likelihood that this all seems so spiritually trite because we're just dipping our toe and uh, entering a, a, a topic that is huge that we should be spending a, 
a season uh, in a sermon series on. But if I could simply draw us back to the focus, uh, to, to the reality, the fundamental reality underneath suffering, when we take the time to look at the ugly reality all around us. Suffering is here. It's a given. It's, it's part of the fallenness of the world. It's, it's, a, it's a consequence of sin, our own and the sin of everyone else. But at the same time, suffering lies at the heart of God's plan to save his people and to renew all things. It isn't just a bummer of a bad set of cards. And God says, well, just wait. Things will get better. Suffering is at the heart of his plan in Jesus, appropriately called the man of sorrows in the old hymn. God's saving work culminates in Jesus' suffering on the cross. He doesn't bring joy and purpose and life in spite of suffering. God brings joy and purpose and life itself through suffering. He uses the worst that our world has to offer in order to bring about resurrection realities. How do we then, in a mature way, handle the horrible facts about the suffering of children throughout the world. We confront reality instead of hiding. We talk about not-so-happy things so that we can drive people to the best of things in Jesus. We deal with God in relationship instead of avoiding, instead of dismissing, which puts ourselves in the place of God and treats Him as the deity who didn't know any better, or does know better, but won't bother to do anything about it. We take God's word. We claim his promises. We ask him to act on his promises with a, a hint of insistence and assertiveness, but always with a healthy dose of humility. You know better than we, but God, doesn't it say here? And when will you act? And we will sound like the inspired songbook and the writers of the Psalms. And we realize in our more mature response to this brokenness that often God's answer to our prayers, often the way God chooses to keep his promise is to call us to do something about the brokenness around us. We, we can do something about what that young woman described. Karen gave us, is giving us an opportunity through Refuge 686 next Sunday with this luggage drive. Whether or not you can buy a piece of luggage and bring it, whether or not you are able to make it to that viewing of, of the Dropbox film, these are the ways God, uh, these, these are included in the ways God would choose to keep his promises and answer this problem of suffering. And, and lastly, we do this in light of eternity. Our time frame changes. Not 40 years, not 80 years on this earth with confidence that resurrection is his ultimate promise that one day he will finish making all things new. And until then, we pray. I want you to take a look at this video um, that comes from uh, the ministry called Vivo that sponsors the World Weekend of Prayer for Children at Risk. And I'm going to pray out loud as this plays, okay? And then I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer. Go ahead. God, you say you are, I want you to open your eyes and track with me. You say you're always with us. So we, we thank you for your faithful promises, your protection, your provision. And we want to see how you will answer those prayers, Lord. We want to see you at work in the world. 
Father, we pray for children who are alone and frightened. Show them through your spirit that you are always with them, despite the message of the world that would say otherwise. Help them to know your protection always, even in the midst of adversity. We pray for parents and carers and teachers. Lord, they would do the right thing and protect vulnerable children, especially under their care. Lord, help them follow your example of compassion. Let the compassion of Jesus overflow from them. Lord, we claim this promise from 2 Thessalonians that you will strengthen and protect those who call upon your name. Lord, provide for your children. Provide for our every need. Food and water and clothing and basic health. Lord, let children throughout the world trust in you and not in man and take away their anxieties, which is only a work of your spirit. It could not happen in any other way, Father. We don't want false peace. We want faith-filled peace to claim your promise to meet all of the needs of your people according to the riches of the glory of Jesus. Lord, pray. we pray that your people would remember your promises, which alone bring hope. We pray for children who feel insecure and helpless, Lord, for right reasons. Lord, speak into their lives and bring people to um, show your protective grace in their lives. Let them see you at work around them. Bring them security, freedom from evil ones, perpetrators, those who would take advantage of them. Give them power, Lord, as the weak. Give them strength as the powerless. Cause them to know that this only comes from you. Lord, as we continue to pray for children, show them your help and love through us. Lord, spur us on to pray regularly towards these needs. We pray in Jesus' name. And I want to lead us in this corporate prayer um, provided from the Viva ministry. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your faithful promises and that you protect us and provide for us. Thank you for your strength when we are weak, for your unconditional love when times are hard, and your hope when we despair. We pray that children who are vulnerable and marginalized would know more of your powerful presence in lives that are often marked by pain, fear, and loneliness. May the words of your son Jesus, I am with you always, be a reality for them today. We pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be your hands and feet, showing love in action, shaping communities of joy and hope, and committed to inspiring lasting change in children's lives. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.